Welcome to the Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy podcast. I'm Declan, the son. And I'm Jane, the mom. Enjoy a drink with us while we tell you some wild stories of the brutal and bizarre variety. Please keep in mind some of our stories might be upsetting to young or sensitive ears. This is the podcast where we talk about brutal crimes, bizarre occurrences, and get you drunk with cocktails themed around one of our stories. To lighten things up, we like to end our time with a chaser. Okay. So, Declan, what story are you going to tell us today? So, I'm going to be telling one of many stories of spontaneous combustion. Okay. Yucky. All right. Okay, well, mine's not going to be... Mine's brutal, but... Nobody is spontaneously combusting. So, yay. <laughs> What's your story? Um, I'm going to tell you about Mark and Lori hacking. But first, I want to do a quick shout out to another podcast friends of ours. And that is the Bad Human Podcast hosted by married couple. They go by KMAC and The Answer. I still want to know what the question is for the answer, but uh, apparently it's based on the Fast and the Furious movie series. But yes, KMAC and The Answer, they have a true crime podcast and sometimes they enjoy beverages like we do. And apparently they have also had some of our beverages. Um, they do coverage of things like unsolved cases, missing persons. They do some exonerated prisoner stories as well. They, uh, they do a great job of researching their stories. So they've got a lot of information in there. They're not like a super like two hour long podcast or anything like that. They, they have it very concise, but they, um, they're kind of like us where we drop a few F-bombs now and then and they don't give a lot of respect to the assholes who did the crimes, but they are respectful of the families and the victims and things like that. So it's a really cool podcast. I highly recommend it. Go check it out. It's the Bad Human Podcast. Nice. And for my story, I brought the Mormon Surprise Cocktail. It is one part vodka two and a half part white grape juice and ginger ale. The instructions are to combine the vodka and white grape juice in a shaker, mix it all up, then pour that into a Collins glass with ice and top with ginger ale. Mm -hmm. So are you ready to try this drink? I am. Okay, let's give it a shot. I taste is ginger ale. Oh, you might have needed to do more parts then. Heavier Probably. parts. You're right though. I I I only did, you know, maybe a quarter of the glass in ginger ale. But mm -hmm. I can taste a little bit of the white grape juice. It's really good. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, I did like half ginger ale, so I don't Okay. Know where I went wrong. Maybe. So, I don't have a history of this drink, per se, but I have some interesting facts about vodka. It has been around for centuries, and it was first created in Russia. I think most people know that vodka is Russian. 
but yes, it was indeed created in Russia. It is not just made from potatoes, though. So a lot of people think it's only made from potatoes, but it is not. It's currently distilled from fruit and many other different kinds of grains, including wheat, rye, and barley. So any people who are sensitive to wheat, be careful what vodka you drink because it does matter. Uh, it is used as currency in some parts of the world. And that still is true to this day. It, it was true hundreds of years ago, but it is still true that it is sometimes used as currency. Hmm. It's usually distilled multiple times, which increases the purity and also increases the alcohol content. So every time it's distilled, it becomes stronger and stronger. My last fact is that there is a city in Russia named Vodka. And it's named that because it was once the site of a large vodka distillery. Interesting. I bet that's a yes. cool place to visit. <laughs> I I don't know. We another road trip. Yeah. Starting with an airplane. <laughs> Okay, are you ready for this brutal story? Yeah, hit me with it. Okay. So, this is about Mark and Lori hacking and about the things that happened. So, here we go. Most people lie. Sometimes the lie is a little white lie with no intent of hurting anyone and sometimes intended to save someone's feelings. You know, like, yeah, you look good in that outfit. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But sometimes that lie is a huge one with massive ramifications for the person telling the lie and those the lie is told to. This is a story of a bunch of big fat lies. <laughs> so Lori Hacking was Lori Suarez. She was born on December 31st, 1976. She lived with her family in Los Angeles for about 10 years. When her mother and father got divorced, she and her mother moved to Utah, where they had a large community within their Mormon church. Lori met Mark Hacking while the two were attending high school together. Mark Hacking was born September 24, 1976. They had similar values since both belonged to the Mormon church, and they seemed to be a great couple who really cared for each other. After Mark graduated from high school, he did the traditional Mormon thing. He went on a mission trip through the church. He was sent to Canada, but he had some trouble during the mission and returned home early. Mark explained that he'd been injured during the mission, so he was sent home. However, that explanation wasn't completely accurate. Or at all accurate. So... Some people might not know Mormon missionaries. Uh, it, it's if you're a Mormon, it's common to go on a mission trip to other countries or other parts of the country that then from where you're from. And they have very strict rules like no drinking, no smoking, no dating, 
limited to no extracurricular activities, Mark didn't exactly follow those rules. And so he was asked to leave. But being removed because of breaking those rules could be embarrassing for him, his family, and even the church. So he told a little lie. He said, I got hurt and they sent me home. So that was one of the lies. Um, Mark and Lori married in 1999 when Lori was completing her college degree. By 2004, Lori was working at a bank and Mark was attending college at the University of Utah. He was also working part-time at a hospital while preparing for his further education. He had set his sights on becoming a doctor, like his father, and was planning to attend medical school at the University of North Carolina. Mid-July was a busy time for Lori and Mark. They had recently learned that Lori was about five weeks pregnant, and they were planning their move across the country in a few weeks so Mark could begin medical school. July 16, 2004, Lori left work after getting an upsetting phone call that made her cry but she didn't tell her coworkers what the call was about. Later that night, she and Mark went to a going away party that her coworkers had thrown for her. Whatever had upset her didn't seem to be bothering her at that time. July 19th at around 10 a.m., Mark called several of Lori's friends telling them that she was missing and he was looking for her in the park that he believed she had been running at. He said she left the house, went for a run, Never made it home. He was worried about her. He knew where she typically went for a run at, so he went to that park and began looking for her. Started calling her friends saying, you know, have you seen her? I'm at the park looking for her. If you know anything, let me know. While he was looking for her in the park, he called the police and he called her work. Her car was discovered nearby, but no one had seen Lori. Not quite an hour later, Mark called the police a second time to report Lori missing. He explained that Lori had driven to the park to go for a morning jog, but never returned. A big search, thousands of, like, volunteers came out looking, trying to find Lori. Conducted in the park, surrounding areas, but Lori wasn't found. Police searched their apartment and their vehicles. In the apartment, police found Lori's car keys and purse, which raised some red flags. Because remember, I said her car was parked near the park, near her typical jogging round, not at the apartment. So how did she drive to the park if her car keys are in the apartment? That's a great question. Yes. The search of her vehicle was also confusing because the driver's seat and the mirrors were set for someone larger than Lori. She's kind of petite. Vehicle set up. Seat pushed back. Windows up higher. You know. In Mark's vehicle, they found blood in the back seat and handprints on the door that were described as if they had been left by someone loading something heavy into the back. Hmm. In Mark's car, there was also a receipt for the purchase of a new mattress dated that day, July 19th, the day that Lori was reported missing. The time of purchase was during the window between Mark's two phone calls to the police. 
So he called him at around 10 something, and then he called him right before 11. And in between that window of two calls, he went shopping for a mattress. As you do that's... when your wife is missing. Oh, that's weird. That, that's some very strange activities. Little bit weird. Yes. Okay. So the mattress in question was found made up sheets and everything in the master bedroom brand new pair of sheets on it like they still had the creases from the packaging he didn't wash them or anything just took them out of the bag threw them on the bed he explained that he bought a new mattress that day because he had thrown the old one away because it has it had been severely stained with Lori's menstrual blood okay <laughs> sure uh-huh sure well Sure, because she was pregnant. Oh, yeah. So That makes it a lot harder. <laughs> right. So not likely to have a real heavy menstrual flow. I mean, unless she was miscarrying, and my heart goes out to anybody who's experienced that. But that wasn't the case. During the search of the apartment, a letter from a letter, they assumed from Lori to Mark was found in which Lori expressed that she was upset with Mark and was concerned about their relationship. There was also some very concerning evidence located in the apartment, including a hunting knife with blood and fibers on it, a brown stained pillowcase, and an area of carpet that appeared to have blood on it. Okay. <laughs> All signs are pointing point to one thing. <laughs> yeah. What wasn't discovered was their old mattress. Police searched nearby trash dumpsters and places they expected Mark might be familiar with because they didn't find anything in the nearby, like the neighboring apartments, trash. They didn't find any mattresses there. So they thought, well, where else would he go? Oh, maybe to the church. So they did find the mattress at the church in the dumpsters at the church. However, the mattress was there, but the mattress had had the top of it cut off. Jesus. So, yeah, it was removed. The fibers on the hunting knife were later determined to be from the mattress. Okay. Uh-huh. Police interviewed Lori's coworkers. Their story was different from what they were expecting. When Mark called the bank that morning, he asked a worker how Lori was doing. Lori's coworkers explained to Mark that Lori never came into work and suggested that Mark call the police, which Mark had already done once. So this story and the timing of the call to the bank raised some more questions like, why is he telling some people she's missing and looking for her in the park, yet calling her work about 15 minutes later asking how she's doing? So he called her friend, said, hey, have you seen her? I can't find her. I'm scared. I'm worried. And then he called her work saying, oh, how's Lori doing today? This motherfucker is all over the place. What the Little fuck? A <laughs> little bit. And he already called the cops. So he called the cops once, then called her work. Whatever. This guy's. Oh, yeah. man. Right. So police calculated the timing of the call to the bank, her work, 
around the time he was purchasing the new mattress. So he's in the mattress store shopping around for a new Serta and he finds, oh, hey, I should call her work and, you know, ask her how she's doing. Dude, I swear. The timing of everything, the blood evidence, which would eventually be identified as Lori's, and his confusing story about the mattress got police thinking this wasn't a missing persons case, but likely a murder. The day after Lori was reported missing, Mark was found naked running through the streets. Well, not completely naked. He still had his sandals on. Okay, so this guy's just a crack addict. <laughs> He's well running all over town, calling everybody, mixing his stories uh-huh. together. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and basically they they you know, I mean, somebody's running through the streets, they're like, Oh, they've lost their mind, you know. So basically that was his plan. It seemed that he was having a nervous oh. breakdown. So he was admitted to the hospital for psychiatric evaluation. But the police were like, that's bullshit. He took his clothes off and he put his shoes back on. If he was really having a breakdown and had lost his mind, he wouldn't have put his damn sandals back on to run around in the streets. He had to protect his little footsies (laughs) as he's running naked through the streets. Whatever. Yeah. A few days after he was admitted to the hospital, Mark confessed to his brothers that he had murdered Lori. Through the investigation, it was also discovered by looking at videotapes that a body and a rifle had been dumped at the hospital dumpsters. The hospital he worked at, yeah, those dumpsters, but the items had already been taken away to the landfill. It was too dark to see who had dumped the items into the trash, so they couldn't say for sure it was him. So they found a body in the dumpster at the hospital? No, they found... They saw the videotape that somebody had dumped a rifle and a body, but by the time they got to watch the videos, the trash had already been taken away. Okay. So they had to search the landfill. I feel like that'd be pretty easy to find. (laughs) Well, she was in bags and stuff, apparently, I guess. Oh. It took them two months to find her body. Yeah. Yeah, and they were searching it by hand. I feel so bad for anybody who found that. Yeah, almost two weeks after Lori's death, Mark was officially charged with her murder, even though her body had not been discovered yet. He initially pleaded not guilty, even though he had confessed. He confessed to his brothers, who told law enforcement, and he confessed to law enforcement. And then he decided, no, I'm going to plead not guilty. But several months later, in April the following year, Mark changed his plea and admitted to killing Lori by shooting her in the head. He then disposed of some of the evidence, attempted to clean up the scene, which apparently he didn't do very well because there was friggin' blood evidence all over the house. And then he reported her missing. So what happened in those days leading up to her death? I'm going to tell you. We're talking about lies and here it comes. The upsetting phone call that Lori received was actually from the University of North Carolina, where Mark was scheduled to start medical school a few months later. She had asked some financial questions. You know, she called him up and said, hey, I need to find out about what we're doing with the financial aid stuff. Probably because she was pregnant and like, we got to really plan for this. 
Well, they told her, yeah, Mark's not enrolled in medical school, and he never even applied. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So he didn't even apply to the program. The letter that police found when they searched the apartment was believed to have been written by Lori after she made the discovery about the school shortly before her death. And the letter, Lori made statements about her concern for their future together and how she hated coming home to him due to his lies. Lori had learned what a huge series of lives of lies Mark had been telling, and she was devastated. It was also discovered during the process of the investigation that Mark had never even completed his undergraduate program at the University of Utah. He had been pretending to go to classes, even telling his family about some of the classes he was taking, and then he would just go home and play video games all day, apparently. Yeah. He nice. went so far. Like <laughs> yeah, right? He went so far as to plan for his graduation. So he told everybody this is graduation day. He got all his gear, his you know cap and gown and all that. And then he said he was sick and he couldn't go. Apparently, he took something to make himself vomit so that he would have an excuse not to go. And then later in the day when he wasn't puking because, you know, he'd already puked from the medication or whatever, he put on his cap and gown so that everybody could take pictures of him as if it were his graduation day. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, of course, you know, hindsight, the family's like, oh, I remember his graduation day. <gasps> it was all a fucking lie. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. It's unclear if Lori knew about the undergraduate degree lie before her death, but she's smart. She would have known that without that degree, he wasn't getting into medical school. Yeah. Yeah. Almost two months after his guilty plea, which he apparently did in an effort to avoid the death penalty, Mark was sentenced to prison. This is the... Sh Ugh. Due to the laws in Utah at the time, Mark's sentence was, get ready for this, Six years to life. Yeah. What? That's a pretty wide range. Right. And a really minimum term to start with. That's bullshit. Yeah. Six years. So Utah law sentencing for first degree murder at the time was a minimum of five years. But since the murder involved the use of a gun, an extra year was added. So that gave it six years. I know. However, that didn't mean that he was going to get released after six years, but he could start requesting parole after that time. The low end of the range six years made a few people real pissed off, including her family. So the Utah Board of Pardons, shortly after the sentencing, like the next month, announced that Mark would not be eligible for parole for at least 30 years. So he couldn't even start applying for 30 years. The following year, the state law was changed with a bill known as Lori's Law, which stated that anyone convicted of first-degree murder must serve at least 15 years. So... They upped it to 15 from the five, the f fucking five years. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Mark Hacking is still in the Utah prison system. Good. So, yeah. Very good. Oh, that was there a messed you go. up story. I know. Nasty. 
Don't lie, people. <laughs> Unless there are little white lies about how somebody looks good in something that doesn't really look good on them. Wait, so you like concerts, podcasts, and music, and you don't listen to concerts that made us podcast? Oh man, you're missing out. You've got to head over there straight away. They have interviews with the best up-and-coming bands, as well as some famous ones thrown in the mix too. And don't even get me started on the concert stories. Oh man, are they wild. That's Concerts That Made Us Podcast. New episodes every Thursday on all podcast players. So let me tell you about Mary Reeser. On July 3rd, 1951, at 8 a.m. in St. Petersburg, Florida, a landlord was delivering a letter to Mary Reeser when she noticed the smell of smoke and soot by Mary's door. She went to open the door but burned herself on the handle. And after putting two and two together, she quickly got some help from the house painters nearby, and they were able to open Mary's door. What they found inside horrified them. Mary Reeser appeared to have been cremated and was a pile of ashes on the floor at this point. Ooh. Oh, I don't like that. Amidst the pile was Mary's skull, and it appeared to have shrunken and was described as the size of a teacup. <gasps> what? Yeah. Her spine oh. and other bones lie in the ashes, but most confusing discovery was Mary's left foot completely intact and still sitting in her black shoe. No. N no. No. The entire situation was so confusing that multiple different officials were brought in to determine the cause of Mary's death. One cremation expert said that in order for Mary to have burned like that, she would have needed to be at 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit for three to four hours. Uh, oh. The strange part about this is other from the chair that she was sitting in, her apartment was mostly unaffected. Yeah. You know, that's weird. So the corner Mary was sitting in mm. had no soot on the walls, which was uncommon for house fires. Candles yeah. were completely melted, but their wicks stood straight up. Light switches had melted, but the power outlet stayed perfectly intact. And the shack and the stack of newspapers next to Mary were unaffected at all. Hell? Oh, yeah. that's 3, weird. 3,000 degrees would 100% burn up the newspapers next to you. You would think! The firefighters who arrived on scene said the heat was extremely intense. However, there was nothing burning or smoldering when they arrived. So, <sighs> yeah, where was it I coming from? I don't like it. Invest investigators sent samples of the rug, the soot, and the chair to the FBI. However, no combustibles were detected. However, human fat was found inside of the rug. Well, she melted on it. Yeah. Oh, that's gross. 
so Mary's son stopped by her apartment the night before she passed, and he mentioned that she had taken secanol, which is our a barbiturate usually used to help calm patients down before surgery. Okay. So maybe like sure an anti-anxiety. I don't know what secanol is. Something like that. It's a barbiturate. I don't, I don't know what a barbiturate's. Investigators were completely confused on how this happened until someone mentioned spontaneous combustion. There have been over 200 reported cases of spontaneous human combustion. And spontaneous combustion can happen from fluids inside of you somehow turning into gas and igniting oh. the fat inside of the body. Oh, I'm scared now. Shit. Yeah. This fat Ugh. burns long and hot which causes the rest of the body to burn. Rose. A scientist named Brian J. Ford published an article claiming that spontaneous combustion can be caused by a buildup of acetate in the body. And acetone can be created from diabetes, alcohol consumption, or bad diet. So we might just spontaneously combust on this podcast since we're drinking. <sighs> I hope not. Jeez. So, a combination of evidence led investigators to believe that Mary died from spontaneous combustion. She didn't move or try to escape the fire. Everything around her was undamaged, and Mary's fat was found in the rug. So, Mary was about 170 pounds, so she wasn't a spring chicken. She had some body fat on her, which is one of the, I don't want to say causes, but correlations to spontaneous combustion is having a lot of body fat because that's the main fuel okay in, uh spontaneous combustion is i wonder the if there's fat. like a body fat percentage and that could be like a reason that people go to the gym and be like i gotta keep my body fat percentage down so i don't <laughs> spontaneously combust <laughs> i'm going to the gym later oh Maybe when your muscles are actually burning, they're about to spontaneously combust. <laughs> you oh, do too God. many reps of curls and your biceps just catch on fire. Oh, that would <laughs> that would suck. <laughs> it kind of feels like oh, that sometimes. God. That's but, true. It does. While no one truly knows what happens to Mary, investigators mark Mary's death as caused by spontaneous combustion. Because there's... Wow. What else could there could it have been? Yeah. I, oh, he said, yes. so her son also said that she was smoking when he stopped by. But if you're smoking and you drop an ember on your nightgown and your nightgown catches on fire, that's going to wake your ass up. You're not just unless she had already died in the chair. Well, maybe. Yeah, maybe she had like a heart attack or something, but it doesn't explain why why it would burn so hot, I would think, and why it didn't spread to yeah. anywhere else. Even if she had spontaneously combusted, why didn't it spread to the newspapers nearby or anything for that matter? I mean, I would think that the it, it doesn't make any friggin' sense at all. So Mary lived in an apartment complex and none of her other neighbors were able to even Yeah. It'd be pretty fucking obvious if there was a house fire in the apartment next to you, you'd be able to see like smell it. You could probably feel yeah. the heat. Like Yeah. Well I mean the doorknob was hot. Anything. Yeah. 
Which is weird. I don't. None I don't of the other shit in the apartment was burned. That's wild. <laughs> Bless you. Mm. <laughs> that is wild. Yeah, super weird. And wow. I'm sure at some point we will be talking about some of the other 200 cases of spontaneous combustion. <sighs> I did so not know there were even close topic. to that many. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't like I it. The first recorded spontaneous combustion was from like 1400. So it's been around mm. for a while. I think it was some guy going to the bar and he just randomly caught on fire in front of his friends and died. Okay, well, in front of witnesses, yes, I could see that that would be an explanation. But I also know that like back in the 1400s, science 14. wasn't a big, <laughs> yeah. as much of a big thing. So people would be like, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I think he just spontaneously combusted. But could you imagine seeing it that It was in the front devil. <laughs> exactly. That'd be so Exa- Oh, that no Mm, that's yucky i don't like it hey everyone i'm laura and i'm joe and we are the hosts of crime divers podcast we are scottish sisters who tell each other true crime cases the other hasn't heard of New episodes are released every Tuesday and you can find us on your favourite podcast platform. So what are you waiting for? Grab your wetsuit and join us as we dive into the world of true crime. But remember, watch out for those sharks! No, no. Alrighty, do you have a chaser for us? Or should I go? I, I do have a chaser, but if you want to go first, you can go first. Okay, I'll go first. I don't know okay. if I'll explain this too well, but in Give 2019, a, a meteorite was found in Somalia, and uh, they did some testing on it and were able to determine that the material in the meteorite was formed on another planet that had been hit by an iron meteorite. And that it hit it so hard and it was so hot that it created this new element that isn't found on Earth. And that shard of the other planet made its way here in the form of an asteroid and was dug up in Somalia. Oh, weird. So there's a part of another planet on our planet. Well, there's probably lots of them, but. I would think, yeah, there's lots of them. But the fact that there's two, you said there were two elements that were not that are not well, from this it was one element that was made up of different things like a oh the, the scientist who tested it and determined that it came from another planet said that it had to have been hit by let me pull up the article again real quick it had to be hit um so it was 30 percent of the of what he tested wasn't found on earth and that um, much ooh yeah that's a high percentage so so he said his name the scientist's name was Hurd Hurd believes that this is less likely to have taken place in the center of an iron meteorite 
that on the surface of a planetary body that was struck by an iron meteorite at greater than 11,000 miles an hour, the collision would melt the rock, giving rise to the phenomenon of inclusions. So wow. It had to be a specific event that took place to create that type of material. Yeah, that's... I'm sure I'm doing wow, a that's terrible job of explaining this because I don't know a lot about rocks and stuff. I took geology, but I was very bad at it. That's all right. You know more about it than I do. <laughs> so what is your chaser? My chaser... I saw this article about a woman in North Dakota who had been arrested for bringing a wild raccoon into a bar. I just about laughed my ass off when I read this. So she explained that the family had found the raccoon on the side of the road and they were trying to nurse it back to health. And so she brought the raccoon into the bar because, you know, as you do when you're trying to nurse something, I don't know, she brought the raccoon in. The raccoon didn't do anything. It just was there. It didn't try to bite anyone. It didn't (laughs) run around. It was just there. She brought it in with her. She got arrested because it's illegal to possess raccoons in North Dakota. Okay, well, then that's on her. She was, she was given a, she was given probation, one year of probation and $1,100 in fines and fees. Probation? She could have gone to jail for several years, but they gave her probation. If you find a raccoon on the side of the road, I mean, the whole thing is just crazy. Whatever judge did that can suck a dick. Because if I see some lady who's like (laughs) found this injured animal, it's like, I'm not playing. It's not my pet. I'm just taking care of it. Like, yeah. uh, Give her a slap on the wrist. Say, hey, you can't have it. But once it's once it's fully recovered, let it outside. Right. Yeah. (sighs) Like the. Yeah. um, Because I guarantee you everyone in that bar was like. Oh, cool, a raccoon. (laughs) I would have been all excited about the raccoon. Like, oh, my God, it's so cute. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, don't don't keep raccoons if you live in North Dakota because you might get in trouble. But I just thought it was funny. That's cute little story. I know it's dumb. It's 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 so weird that you can own raccoons in one state, but not the next. Well, I don't know. Can I don't know if you can. I would assume you could Certain own raccoons somewhere. Other ones you have to have licenses for. Oh well, I'm sure in she North could Dakota, own it if she had the right license, because animal know. sanctuaries it was... that have raccoons, like what you're just supposed to let them die. <laughs> Bad things happen to raccoons; they get caught. I'm just saying. I know that, but at least let like have some compassion, folks. Come on. <laughs> I know. Well, in Oregon, if you catch a raccoon, you have to put it down. Really? You can't. Re- yeah, you can't relocate it because the whole oh. thing is about rabies transmission and stuff like that. And so they just put the raccoon down, and it's really sad. On another note, if I was attacked by a raccoon, I think I could fuck that thing up. <laughs> <laughs> Hit a twenty-yard yeah. field goal with that motherfucker. <laughs> 
<laughs> Declan v. Raccoon. Well, you know we have raccoons here, so they hang out around our house. You can go see if you can find a raccoon to fight with if you want. All right. The ones by our house are cute. I don't want to fuck with them. I've seen them. Okay. <laughs> they came out one night when I was in the hot tub. Did they really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was wow. weird. I was like, I guess I'm sitting in here until they leave. Yeah, no shit, man. I'm not getting out. I have swimming trunks on. I, it's another story if you got, like, boots on, but right. you did tear they, your toes off. Where did they come up around the hot tub? Like, were they on the uh, steps or anything trying to get in and take a little hot tub with you? No, they came out of the bushes by the gate and oh, just kind of, okay. like, looked at me and then scurried off on the, like, other side towards the house. Yeah, they probably were scared shitless because they're not expecting somebody to be sitting in the hot tub. Yeah. All right. Nice. I think that just about wraps this up, right? Yes, it does. All righty. Well, I had a good time talking to you today. Definitely. It was nice chatting with you, bud. Love you. Love you, too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening and supporting our podcast. We would love for you to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And if you want to give us a five-star rating, we would forever be grateful. You can contact us at our email via thebrutalandbizarre at gmail.com or on our Instagram at thebrutal underscore bizarre underscore boozy.